I'm in the process of pitching my novel to publishers. I switched from nonfiction to fiction, so I'm starting over. No contacts, no leads. My book is headed for the slush pile. A stack of manuscripts by no-name authors trying to make their mark on the world. The only thing standing in our way of an adoring readership? A group of moody, self-adulating gatekeepers who base their decisions on the after-effects of that morning's breakfast burrito as much as the talent of the writer. History shows they have no idea what they're doing. Agatha Christie was rejected for five years before selling her first manuscript. Louis L'Amour was dismissed over 200 times before Bantam Books finally took a chance. Jack London received over 600 rejection letters before selling a single story. And J.K. Rowling was rejected 12 times before Bloomberry bought Harry Potter. A filtering process is necessary, of course. There are hundreds of thousands of writers, all vying for the same limited space on bookstore shelves. So we humble ourselves and succumb to their submission guidelines. Shave your head, put on these clothes, stand in a line, do as you're told. It's not that bad. But each gatekeeper has their own submission requirements, like how to format the subject line, how many pages to include, what the query letter should say, and so on. They want us to neutralize any factors that make their job more difficult. Individuals are inconvenient. Aberrations are a distraction. Be friendly, but not gushing. Say something about yourself, but not too much. Make me feel something. I have to pick up my kid from daycare in about 10 minutes, but make me feel like the earth is moving beneath my feet. So we strip off all of our clothes and let them examine our teeth and test our reflexes, and we fall into the same trap that all storytellers and artists fall into, waiting our turn, holding our breath, hoping to be picked instead of picking ourselves. And it's not just the publishing industry. Every aspect of our lives is designed to neutralize our uniqueness and put us on equal footing with everybody else. Nobody likes an outlier. On Facebook, we have 851 pixels to express ourselves with a custom header. We all use the same filters on Snapchat, the same 140 characters on Twitter, the same tiny squares on Instagram, and then we wonder why we don't stand out. Even when we think we're breaking with convention, we end up doing the exact same thing as everyone else. A good friend of mine has a similar fascination as me with Bigfoot. He recently entered a writing contest where one of the rules stated, No stories about Bigfoot. What? My friend exclaimed. That's a thing? I didn't even know that was a thing. The same thing happens to me all the time. I recently heard a literary agent say he didn't want any more books about dead people who didn't know they were dead. What? So says the author who just wrote a book about a dead person. I know, I've seen Sixth Sense, but I didn't know it was a thing. I'm a big fan of the YouTuber Casey Neistat. The fun musical scores. The soaring drone footage. The way he opens packages in the mail. He's got a style that's all his own. It's been a while since my last vlog. So imagine my surprise when I clicked on another friend's YouTube channel the other day. He was using the same music. The same drone footage. He even had the same gear hanging off of his backpack. 
But it didn't end there. I clicked on another friend's vlog and heard him using the same vocal cadence as John Green. Morning, it's Tuesday. It's Thanksgiving week here in the United States, so today I thought I would share with you a story of gratitude. So several months ago... Before I go any further, let me just say that I could be completely guilty of using the same style in these recordings that you've heard someplace else. But if I am, I am totally unaware of it. So ingrained are the influences of other people, other artists, and other works in our minds that we can't possibly escape them even when we think we're doing our own thing. The only way to avoid becoming like everyone else is to stop striving to be like the people we admire and do what comes naturally to us, even if it feels too familiar or unprofessional. I recently read a story by the author Ed Tarkington, who spent years writing things that resembled the works of his literary heroes. He wrote, Many of my sins in both life and prose have sprung from an urge to imitate the romantic, macho rebel-type writer I admired, but to whom I didn't bear much real resemblance. I tried to behave the way I imagined they would behave, write the way they wrote. At 35, I couldn't hold up the illusion anymore. I was no outlaw. I was a middle-class husband, a teacher, a coach, and a father of young girls. I'd become a much different kind of man than the one I'd set out to be. I know the words to all the kid show theme songs on PBS and the names of all the Disney princesses and their pets. I quit smoking and drink a lot less. Instead of tough guys and outlaws, I hang out with my little girls and my wife, with other parents and their kids. I still revere the writers I tried to emulate, but I couldn't pretend to be like them anymore. So I returned to where I started, the memory of growing up in a small southern town in the late 1970s and early 80s in a family that was both typical and strange. I'd shied away from that place for years, afraid the soil wasn't deep enough in which to root the kind of novel I thought I was supposed to write. With no small amount of trepidation, I abandoned the stoic anti-heroes in the mountains and turned back to what really interests me, what I worry about, what obsesses me. Memory and longing, family and community, love and betrayal, reconciliation and redemption. Ed's first novel, Only Love Can Break Your Heart, was published this last January. Let's go back to that little place where we used to go in the summer days. We dip our feet at the water's edge and everyone would come along to meet us there. 